Amen. Well, we're coming into a great season of the year for those who love Christmas music. Anybody in here just love Christmas music? And you started like when October 1st started. Like you, you found that Pandora station, you know, I don't know what your favorite is. We've got like 18 Christmas music channels on our Pandora. It's absolutely insane, and I never know which one to pick. Anyway, what's great is we, there's just so much great Christmas music, and I'm not talking about Baby It's Cold Outside, okay? Nothing, I mean, there's some other good Christmas music, but I'm talking about the gospel-centered Christmas music, the stuff that sings about the coming of Jesus, and there's so many cool songs out there, with, and when you sit down and you read the lyrics, it's just, it's kind of, it's just like you're getting a sermon in the lyrics. Uh, so this opportunity, uh, this Christmas season to just listen to some great music. Uh, we have a couple cool things happening here in this building. Uh, we have the Votebird concerts, which they've been doing here for the past few years. It's a great kind of mix between kind of the pop Christmas music and some traditional Christmas hymns, and they're doing their concerts here. But we're doing something on December 15th. Uh, we're going to be doing a, it's a Christmas community chorale concert. And they're going to come in and they're going to sing a bunch of just choral music. And my dad's leading it. Last year I got to sing in it. I'm not going to sing in it this year. Uh, but there's a community choir that's coming in with 40 or 50 singers that are going to be uh, practicing over the next few months, um, next month and a half, getting ready for that. But we're going to be doing that concert. And they're ending the concert. The whole reason I'm talking about that is because they're ending the concert with one of my all-time favorite songs. It's the Alleluia Chorus. Anybody know it? It's got just some amazing lyrics. As the, as the author Handel, he just wrote right out of Scripture this, this whole musical. And, and in, in the Alleluia Chorus, it sings, uh, it, it sings, And he shall reign forever and ever, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah! You guys know it? <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> King of kings and Lord of lords forever. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. This whole idea. And, and you get so much cool Christmas music that just sings of the glory of Jesus. And the power of God to rescue and to save. And, and we come into this season. And I hope that you're excited about it. And I hope you're not one of those Scrooges that's just like, Mah. Okay? But, but today we get to kind of jump into a passage. And it has a passage of scripture in it. Chapter 6 of the book of Daniel, which where we're at, has a, a chunk of scripture that you would think comes right out of the Alleluia Chorus. Or something. And this is what it says. It says, tremble in fear before God, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. It sounds like the kind of thing that would be written by one of the prophets, or even Daniel, something that Daniel would say. What's so cool is today we're going to learn who said that, and it's going to be pretty incredible that this wasn't spoken by Daniel, it wasn't spoken by Isaiah, it wasn't spoken by Jeremiah, it wasn't spoken by one of the people of God. This is praise and glory that's given from somebody who's outside of the family of God, who's who's seeing the glory of God. And we're going to see how that happens through a story that many of us know, and if you've, been, if, if you've been here the last few weeks and you know we're talking about Daniel, you've been waiting for this story because this is like the, the biggest story that happens in the book of Daniel. And what is it? The lion's den. Isn't this such a cool story? This is one of the best stories in the Old Testament. And I'd probably say that about every story in the Old Testament because they're all awesome. Uh, but we get to jump into the Daniel and the lion's den story. 
And we see something happening through Daniel, through this whole book, uh, that faithfulness catches the attention of others around you. Faithfulness catches the attention of others around you. And as we, as we look at this chapter, as we see the story of Daniel, that doesn't always bring positive attention, but it actually attracts people who are trying to bring them down. But we also see it in the positive. As God uses Daniel's life to transform a nation. It's pretty cool. So Daniel's already been through a lot. Wouldn't you say he's been through a lot? Captured. The people of Israel are captured. He's taken in exile into Babylon. He lives through Nebuchadnezzar. He lives through another king, Belshazzar. And then Belshazzar, if you were here with us last week, Belshazzar kind of crossed the line and he drank out of the goblets that they brought from the temple in Jerusalem. And he has this handwriting on the wall experience. And that very night, his life is taken from him. And a new king is put in place. A new king is put in place. And Daniel, he's just like, I told you so. All right, I'm here. And now at this point in his life, he's no longer a young man. He's now, I think we could call him old. Okay, so this is like, he's like now in his 70s or 80s. And he's been around a long time and he's seen a lot of things. And he's, and that's where we pick up the story today. So he's no longer a a young man trying to achieve anything in life. He's just patiently waiting for God to serve God. And this is what happens in Daniel chapter 6. So Belshazzar, he's no longer the king. Babylon no longer exists. It's been divided. A new king comes in. A new nation comes in. So the people of Israel, they're no longer uh, viewed the same way. Because when when Babylon was conquered, their captives aren't viewed in the same negative way. So we come into this part of the story. This is what it says. It pleased Darius, who's now the new king, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel, I love it when in this story it said that Daniel. Last week it talked about that Daniel. This week it says this Daniel. Not just Daniel, but this Daniel, as if to just kind of bring into uh, bring to mind the importance of this man. So then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was, what's the word there? Faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this, this Daniel. <laughs> there it is again. Unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Okay, so lots happening here. New king comes into power. And now, if you remember last week, or if you look back to chapter 5, Daniel interprets the handwriting on the wall for King Belshazzar. And he says, hey, hey, belly boy, I don't want your purple robe. I don't want your gold chain. I don't want your command. I'm going to tell you what's happening here. And God has weighed your life. He's measured it, and you've been found wanting. And tonight, your kingdom is going to be taken from you and divided. So Daniel has that experience, and, and the, uh, it's kind of the scariness of stepping in front of the king and telling him something that you know he doesn't want to hear. So the new king comes in, and he sees this, this Daniel. 
And he knows this is a man in whom I could trust to be honest with me. He hears the story of, of Daniel, and he knows this. And so Daniel rises to power. God has gifted him with a spirit, with wisdom that other leaders can see. And they go, man, I want you on my team. So Daniel gets put into position. This is just right after the king takes over. When the king took over, he needed to try and find people whom he could trust to bring into his leadership team. And so Daniel gets to be part of that. Daniel becomes one of the three that's over the entire city, from exile to leader. And here he is, he's, he's doing his job, and he's not corrupt, and he's faithful. And what happens? He gets, the, he gets the approval of the king, but what happens to those that are under him? They're looking at him and going, man, this guy, he is beyond corruption. He is, do you think we could use leaders like that? He's so faithful. And instead of seeing that as a good thing, they see it as a negative. And they're looking to try and bring him down. And this is something that you have to recognize. And, and, and I don't know how you could not recognize it in our day and age. Whoever is in leadership, there's a whole bunch of people who are trying to take him down for whatever reason. And it happens whoever gets to be there. It's just a part of the, the challenge of leadership is that there are going to be people under you gunning for you. Daniel steps into that, and he's beyond corruption. There's nothing that they can find. His life is so consistent, so faithful, that there's only one way that they can think of to try and bring him down, and that is his faith and his relationship with God. They're like, if we could come up with a way that we could turn this as a negative, then we could get Daniel out of power. He has legendary faith. Legendary. Everybody around knows about it. They know the consistency of his life. It's, you know, it's, it's hard for me to imagine this kind of lifestyle that Daniel lived with that much rioting on it, with the opportunities placed in front of him from a, as a very young man to give in to culture, to give in to what was going on around him. But he stays faithful. He stays faithful and he continues to pursue the calling that God has on his life. And that's simple. Follow him. He doesn't seek power. It just comes to him in his faithfulness. He's been a captive now for most of his life. And it, he never cashed in on all the things that happened in him. He never just said, you know what? I'm done. Here he is now, an, an old man. And God puts him in power. You know what he could have done? He could have been like, nah, I'm done. I'm done. I just want to live out the rest of my days. But he steps into this position, and we're going to see what happens. He never cashed it in, though. And that's something that I think that, that's important for us. And I think in our culture today, there's so many ways that the culture basically tells us, live your life when you're younger. Work hard so that when you're older, when you get to this retirement age, you can just kind of cash it in. Can I tell you, when, when you choose to follow God and serve him, that day is coming when we'll see him face to face. But until that day happens, there's no cashing it in. There's no cashing it in. That's not a biblical picture. And we see Daniel here. We see him living out his days in exile faithfully to the end, not cashing it in and not giving up. 
And don't we kind of in our American cultural mindset have this picture like if we're faithful, if we seek to serve God, good things will happen. Don't we kind of have that at least wishful thinking (laughs) that we'll just follow God and we'll be faithful and things will go smoothly. And, And as long as that's the case, we feel great. But when things when, when we follow God and we seek faithfulness and challenges come, it stirs our, uh, it stirs our faith. <laughs> it challenges our faith. It makes us question. And Daniel is not the kind of guy that had things go smoothly for him. You know what I recognize as I see this throughout Scripture and I see it in my own life? We, we can almost begin to look forward to a day when we don't have to rely on faith anymore. It's natural. Like, who wants hard things? Anybody raising your hand for more suffering? We don't want that. And I think about it with my kids. Like, no parent prays for hard things to happen to their kids. We all pray that things will go perfectly for them. We, we, we have that same kind of desire in our own hearts. I want to be faithful without the circumstances that prove faith. Anybody agree with that? Like, I want to be seen as faithful. I, I, would, even, I would even think it would be cool to have legendary faith. But I don't really want the circumstances that prove it. And I say this because we have to be aware of that tendency in our own lives so that when the circumstances come that can prove it, We don't see them as a negative thing, but we see them as an opportunity to prove it. It changes the way we face suffering and trials in our lives, and we're going to see that in the book of Daniel. So let's continue with the story because it's getting good. Okay, here we go. Daniel 6. 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors— are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it can, cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Okay, so what's happening right here is King Darius, he's now the king, right? He's got power, and these folks, the satraps and the prefects, these ones that want to get rid of Daniel, they know how to play to the person of power. They know they'll, they'll, they'll kind of prop him up, right? Oh, king, you're so awesome. You should create, you should make a decree that no one in the kingdom can make any petitions or to any gods or any other person other than you for 30 days, you know why they did that? It's because they knew that Daniel wouldn't and wasn't going to stop. He's as faithful as the sunrise when it comes to prayer. So here comes this opportunity for King Darius, and he's, he's sitting there going, yeah, that sounds pretty good, right? I mean, okay, like, no big deal. And they make these, these the couple thoughts here, right? And make an injunction, and that's irrevocable. Make sure you put that stamp on it, king. And then say that if anybody does this, that they'll be thrown into the lion's den, These guys are not just trying to trap Daniel. They're messing with the king. Did you note that? They're trying to manipulate the king. Keep that tucked away because that's going to come back later. So they manipulate the king by basically 
calling him out. And as the new king, he's like, okay, I'll do that. And he signs this into law. Verse 10 says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. It says that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, Daniel is not ignorant here. And it's very clear. He knew that the document had been signed. He knew what this meant to him. And you know what he does instantly? It's like, all right, well, I'm going to go pray. And how many of you are thinking to yourself, Daniel, close the window, <laughs> right? You're doing a secret thing here. You're breaking the law. Close the window at least. You can pray. Or how many of you <laughs> in our, like, well, I should say in my <laughs> mindset, I think, you know what? I believe that you can pray in your heart, right? You can pray in your heart. You can pray in your mind. You can, God knows my thoughts. Right, Daniel, just, just go like covert here. Just say your prayers under your breath. You know, why do this whole get down on your knees? Why do this whole, the, the, the windows open? <laughs> Check me out, everyone. I'm praying again. Well, Daniel is a very, very smart Man, he studied scripture. He's brilliant, and he knows what the scripture says. And he, there's this part in First Kings that he that he's kind of that, that we're going to hear in Daniel's life that we see in Daniel's life as Solomon prayed this prayer. He had this this interaction with God in prayer that said, "God, if ever your people are taken into captivity," as if Solomon was wise too, and he knew that someday that would happen. If ever your people are taken into captivity, and through their captives, they humble themselves, and through that humility, they get on their face before you and cry out to you, God, in that moment, hear their prayer. Hear their prayer. Daniel knows what Solomon said. He's, he's acting upon this prophecy that Solomon gave. He's acting upon it, and he gets down on his knees three times a day. He's praying all the time as he's looking to God, saying, God, we were taken into captivity. We've been in exile, and I'm going to continue to look to you. And he's been doing this for generations, and he's still in exile. He's still there. We see that, that Daniel prays consistently, so consistent. Anybody know anybody who's kind of like this in their life? Like there's just so, so much consistency. You can like set your clock by when they take breaks at work or by when they eat. And my dad was kind of like this growing up, right? My dad, every morning I'd get up and he'd be sitting in his chair reading his scripture and maybe, maybe dozing off a little bit. But let's just be honest, okay? He's there and he's doing his devotions. He ate the same thing every morning and he's not here so I can talk about him. Uh, <laughs> he ate the same thing every morning for like 30 straight years. Wheat hearts. The company discontinued making it, and he wrote letters to the company <laughs> imploring them, please start making this again because I can't find anything that I enjoy as much as this product. <laughs> and ultimately, he had to change. <laughs> right? And that's consistency. So Daniel has this, but in a much more productive way. Uh, <laughs> he's praying every day. And the people around him notice it. Even if they don't appreciate it, they notice it. 
And we have to remember, remember that. What does, the, what does our life, what does the way that we live say to the people around us? Whether they appreciate it or not, they're watching and it makes a difference. Do they see the kind of consistency that points to faith? Or do they see this kind of volatility depending on the day? We're all over the place. That's, that's a challenge for us, church. Because when we carry this Christianity mantle, which you do as the songs, you know, that my daughter loves to sing, Let Your Light Shine, you know. Like, we carry that. The consistency of our faith is something that people are paying attention to. That should challenge us. See, Daniel was consistent. He prayed consistently. He prayed defiantly. It says that when he heard that the thing had been passed into law, he went into his room, opened the windows, and prayed. It's like, all right, well, and I'm thinking to myself, just in my own reasoning, this isn't anything that's coming from Scripture. Like, he's kind of up in age now, and he's kind of like, all right, maybe this is my ticket out of here. (laughs) It's like, sweet, they're going to throw me a lion's den. If I pray, I'm going to go pray. You know, (laughs) but there's more to it than that. He's not letting anything that's dictated by man to dictate his faith. And we may face challenges, and there are people all around the world today that live in a country that they don't have the freedom that we do. And if you weren't here to start the the gathering this morning, we played a little tribute to our veterans, people who have sacrificed their lives so that we could have freedom, simple freedoms, like being able to worship and pray. And there may come a day where things like that are taken away from us, but we still live in a, in a free nation. We can be thankful for that. But all around the world today, there are people who aren't gaining anything by their prayers as far as a cultural perspective goes. Daniel doesn't gain anything by praying and praying openly. In fact, he's risking everything. And we want that kind of faith, but we certainly don't pray for those circumstances, Right? Next week, we're actually going to be taking a break from Daniel, and we're going to hear from a missionary who's had to leave their country because of the political and civil unrest in their country. And they're home for a few weeks, and we're going to get to hear from them. As they've been, basically, they had to be removed from their country. So we're going to hear that story next week. But all around the world today, people don't have the privilege that we do. But do we have the kind of faith that says, no matter what, I'm going to put my trust and, and my faith is going to be consistent. So Daniel prayed consistently, and he prayed defiantly, and he prayed submissively. He got down on his knees. And I think in our Christianity today, I, I oftentimes don't put a lot of emphasis on those kind of aesthetics, like the, like the getting down on your knees to pray. I know people, there are some people that do, and I don't like to get religious, so I almost kind of backlash the other way. But there's something powerful about that that he got down on his knees daily, three times a day, and he made his petition to God, and he thanked God. How many of you like to thank God in the midst of difficult circumstances? Okay. He thanked God. He gave him praise. He falls down before him. And I think there is something about that when our bodies come into alignment with the things that we're saying and we believe. So if ever somebody feels the need to get down on your knees in prayer or worship, we're not going to look at you and go, oh, you're showing off, (laughs) right? There's something powerful about that, to get down on one's knees. And he does it in a room to pray. He does it 
to demonstrate to God his humbleness. Daniel prayed consistently, defiantly, and submissively. There's a humility to Daniel. As there is to anyone who truly has encountered Almighty God, there should be a humility to that, knowing whatever comes from him, I'm going to accept and I'm going to follow. So he does this after knowing it's been signed in. And what happens? These guys, they know it because they've set their clock. It's three times a day. Daniel's praying. And so they wait till it's prayer time and they catch him. They catch him at it. And in verse 12, it says, they, Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man without, within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Again, they're manipulating the king. And the king says, answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. So as I read that, I think to myself, you know, when, when the new king came into place, all the people of Babylon are now under his authority. And though Daniel, Daniel is an exile from Judah, this new king doesn't care about that. But there were still a lot of people who saw that as a negative thing, including people who might have been under, in power under the previous regime. And so they're trying to get Daniel. And they throw that out as if the king cares. He's one of the exiles from Judah, and he prays to this God. And the king, verse 14, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Isn't that incredible? The king who made the decree, who was manipulated by these other guys, when he realizes what they've done and what's happened, he wants to try to find a way to alleviate this so that Daniel doesn't have to deal with the lion's den. But his own words... And his own actions have trapped him. And those men, they, they manipulated him perfectly. And so he's upset. He's distressed. And then these men, in verse 15, these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians and that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes, establishes can be changed. They're basically saying to the king, Hey, we got you and we got Daniel. You can't stop this. And if you do, you look weak. And you don't want to look weak. But it's pretty amazing to me that the king's heart in this is to save Daniel. He's found in Daniel someone who he can trust to speak truth. Someone who's not corrupt and they're not going to try and overthrow him. They're just going to be honest. So he doesn't want to have Daniel thrown in the lion's den. But these men say, you can't change it. Not even you. In verse 16, it says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. 
No diversions were brought to him. No entertainment for the evening. And sleep fled from him. What's incredible to me is through Daniel's faithfulness and through his witness, this new king, he's, he's dangerously close to praying here, isn't he? May the God whom you serve, this is still your faith, Daniel, not mine, may the God whom you serve deliver you from the lions. And he's distressed. And he doesn't eat. And you know what he's doing? He's watching. He's anxious. See, God didn't preserve Daniel from trials. God was glorified through Daniel in his trials. God didn't preserve Daniel from his trials. And, and sometimes that's the prayer that we pray, isn't it? Don't we do that? God, just don't let me go through anything hard. You have this, I, I have this fear sometimes. Like if, if it's too hard, I might not be able to withstand it. God's doing something in Daniel's life through this challenge that's incredible. He's getting glory not because not, not Daniel's so good, but he's setting this up to be glorified, that God would be glorified. And it's through Daniel's trials. D- Darius is about to have a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> Verse 6, 21, 22. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God, wait, no, sorry, sorry. I, gotta, I don't want to skip this. 16, or 19 and verse 19 through 20. It says this, and then at daybreak, or, then at break of day, excuse me, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Catch what's happening here? What is, what's the king doing? He's hoping. He's putting hope in the God whom Daniel serves. He's putting his hope that somehow God saved him, this God whom Daniel trusts. We know that because we went through the book of Hebrews. You guys remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? What's faith? It's all about hope. The assurance of things hoped for. The king is hoping. He's this close to faith. He's hoping, he's putting his hope that God would save Daniel and he cries out to him. I, I have this picture of it that he's like, as soon as the sun cracks over the, the, the horizon, he's there and he cries out, Daniel, did your God deliver you? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Ultimately, this story is not about Daniel's faithfulness. And he was faithful and people noticed it. This story is about the faithfulness of God. God rescued Daniel. God rescued Daniel. He sent his angels to shut the mouths of lions. God shuts the mouths of the lions. Daniel couldn't do anything <laughs> to stop that. And as I was thinking about it this morning, and we were just talking in the lobby, you know, Daniel's kind of an old man, and we were like, maybe the lions just didn't want to bite. 
<laughs> He's kind of tough, gristly. <laughs> That's not really what happened. Okay. God shuts the mouths of the lions in order that he's going to be glorified. I think that God saved Daniel not for Daniel's sake. God saved Daniel for King Darius's sake. It says this in chapter 6, verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and manipulated the king, I might add, maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces." These guys, they had it coming, didn't they? Like this is, this is an instance in Scripture where you're just like, yes, justice just finally happened. It happened. Daniel is saved, and those that were really corrupt, they end up getting destroyed. And their bones are broken in pieces. It's not a pleasant image, is it? Like the kids, too, and the wife. It's just, but these people were corrupt, and they didn't trust God. Verse 25 says, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The king who began to put hope in the God of Daniel makes a decree. He declares, this is the God he writes a song of praise, doesn't he? It rivals some of the songs that we sing. He declares in his dominion, this king who's got power, he says, no, 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 no. God has power. He humbles himself, just like in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the fiery furnace, where Nebuchadnezzar has a moment. Through the, the story of Daniel and his faithfulness, he sees kings come to worship God. And it, it reinforces this truth that when we face anything that's beyond our ability to control, one thing that can inspire us, one thing that can help us to, to seek a faithful response is recognizing that God's doing something in the people around us and the people who are watching us. And God's most glorified in us when we are satisfied in him. Daniel walks into the lion's den knowing whatever happens to him, he's good. God didn't save Daniel for Daniel. He saved Daniel for the king, that the king would worship, and he does. God shut the mouths of lions so that he could open the mouth of the king. And the king's mouth opens, and his pen flows, and he writes this praise, and he sends it out. And I ask you this question, who's watching you suffer? Who's watching what you're going through? Who is it that knows? Because we oftentimes 
seek to get rid of those circumstances, but God may be doing something through them to bring someone close to him, to, 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 for them to get a glimpse into those who trust in God and, and put their hope in God. That no matter what we face, we can trust him. That even if Daniel had died in the lion's den, he knew where he was going and he knew whom he trusted. Who is it that can see your life? Do you oftentimes think of them that they need to see who God is through our trust in him? It puts God on display, really. And we have to recognize it. It it should impact the way that we live and the way that we suffer and the way that we face things. And when you see people, and I know you have, I know you've seen people who've faced incredible challenges in faith, and what does it do for your faith? It inspires. It motivates. It says, man, it's worth it. So we have to recognize that. Daniel lived his entire life in exile. From the moment he was taken away, through all of his faithfulness, he didn't go home. He trusted God anyway. He never made it back to Jerusalem. Daniel didn't. He never made it home, but he recognized that he was waiting for a different kind of home. He was waiting and he was looking forward to our eternal home. And when we get that perspective, we can live through anything. We can live through any lion's den. We can recognize that no matter what we face, it cannot touch our unshakable kingdom. It cannot. God doesn't always reward us here, but we are promised an eternal reward. God doesn't always reward us here. Right? If we preached a different message than that, do you think more people would come to believe? Like, hey, you know, you just believe in God and you'll get millions of dollars. Now, we preach a message that says, trust in God for eternal reward because he rose again from the dead. And we have to have faith in that. We have to learn to live as an exile like Daniel. That today, even if, you call, even if you're American, this is not home. And sometimes, because we are human, we kind of get comfortable here. We have to recognize that this is not our home, that we are exiles here, that there's a purpose for us being here that's bigger than having an easy life. And I know that not everybody in this room has an easy life. Actually, no one gets out of this life unscathed. (laughs) But if we recognize that God has us here for a purpose, and that purpose is that other people might open their mouths and glorify God, it can give a different kind of emphasis to the challenges that we face. Daniel modeled that for us, to live for God in the middle of a hostile culture. And though we still have religious freedom, we're living in a day where the world around us is becoming more hostile to the grace of God, to the gospel. We have an opportunity not to stand on a street corner with a sign, but to live our lives in such a way that would glorify God 
that even if there are people who want to come and speak evil against us, they wouldn't be able to find anything to say except for they worship God. But that takes a kind of consistency that's it's beyond me. <laughs> and it, it's not something that any one of us can do on our own. But we, unlike Daniel, we have, we have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that because of what Jesus has done, he sent the Holy Spirit to come and live with us. If we can rely on him and trust in him. And today you're, you're in the middle of a circumstance you're in the middle of a circumstance where you have an opportunity to rely on the Holy Spirit, to trust in him and say, help me be faithful. Help me to demonstrate faith so that the people in my life, the people around me, will glorify God. That somebody may someday say, I worship the God that Terry worships because I've seen what God has done in his life that we have an opportunity in our lives today to be that kind of witness. Ultimately, the story of Daniel, it shadows another story. (laughs) As all the Old Testament stories do, they point us forward. That Daniel, he didn't save himself. God saved him. That he went into the lion's den and the mouths of the lions were shut. He didn't die in that den. But there was coming another one who, when he went into the mouth of the lions, the mouth was not shut. The nails pierced his hands. That Jesus died for us. He died so that we wouldn't have to face that kind of death. That he went into the mouth of the lions. And he rose again. And that's, that's got to be our anchor And we talk about that every week. It's got to be our anchor. It has to get deep inside of us. Not just just a few of us, but every single person. Every person who calls on the name of Jesus, that we could live that way. It would make a difference in our culture, wouldn't it? Can you imagine if there would have been a whole nation of Daniels? To give glory to him. This morning we get to ponder that. And I, and I pray that it inspires our faith. Pray that it encourages us, no matter what you're going through, to not just look at the challenges ahead of you as a negative thing. Just go, God, who's watching and how can I glorify you? Help me respond in faith and not be tossed about by the circumstances of life. Because of what Jesus has done. That he died for us. He's taken that punishment that we'd have eternal life with him. So we come and we receive communion. It's something that we do every week because we need that reminder. And I don't know what you're facing this morning. But we need the reminder that he, he's gone there for us. And that no matter what we face, we can trust in him. Maybe some of you need to take a moment and get on your knees. Maybe, maybe things have been happening in your life that have not turned you towards humble prayer. And you've maybe, you've, you may have wanted that, 
but you haven't recognized that this circumstance in your life is giving you an opportunity to glorify him. And you need to take a moment and you need to get down on your knees and you need to humbly say, thank you, God. Would you help me respond in faith? We all need those moments. We need a moment where we can just say, God, help me be faithful. No matter what season of life you're in, however old you are, how young you are, that we can continue to grow in faithfulness. That it could bring other people to glorify God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And we say thank you. And, and I know in this room there are those that are going through incredible challenges. Things that I don't know about and some that I do. And we know that we're human and we struggle. And I just pray this morning for faith and for faithfulness. For the power of the Holy Spirit to come inside of us and empower us to live as your witnesses. The way that you've called us to. That we wouldn't just be uh, fair weather fans in a sense. Up and down and all around depending on what's going on in our lives. But that we could live consistently. In a way that others would see whether they appreciate it or not. That they could see that you're more than a convenience to us. But you are our hope. And we, we can say these things and we, and we do it all in hope. We do it all in faith as we, as we see what you've done in history. We trust that the work that Christ accomplished on the cross and that he rose again, that that impacts every part of us. And we trust, even when we can't see, we trust that. This morning we come and we receive communion as, as a reminder that you died for us. And that ultimately you rose, that we could understand that we have eternal life in you. That it motivate us to live faithfully to the very, very end. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.